This is The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 337. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the show. It's fabulous to have you here. As we are diving into Mental Health Awareness Month in May, I think that this show is a great fit for that. We're going to be looking at emotional intelligence, what it is, how our inner world and our outer world come together around emotional intelligence, and also the concept that emotions contain data. They are neither good nor bad as much as they give us information. My guest today is Robin Hills, and I'm going to tell you more about Robin in just a moment. I want to welcome you if it is your first time to the Star Coach Show. My name is Meg Rentschler. I am an executive and mentor coach. I have been working with coaches for 14, 15 years now, and believe that coaching, the process of coaching, how we listen to one another, engage with one another, is really what the world needs. And that's why the Star Coach Show was created to help coaches strengthen skills, build businesses, and change organizations through coaching. I do that with my work with leaders around the world to help them change the way they communicate and engage with others to empower others and really lift their load because don't we all need to do lifting together to ease the burden on each of us. I also help coaches build their skills, build their businesses, and thrive one way through this very podcast, also through the membership site that is aligned with this podcast. If you want to know how to go deeper and become a member of our thriving community, explore that at starcoachshow.com. And then in the work that I do both as a coaching instructor and as a mentor coach with over a thousand coaches over this past decade and a half. So with that, bringing great shows forward, like my interview with Robin, is a way that really lights me up because I believe that it has such an impact on the coaching community. My guest today is a renowned business psychologist and the director of EI for Change. He is a leader in emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience-based personal development. Robin Hills focuses on educational training and coaching. He has taught over 300,000 people in 195 plus countries how to build resilience, increase their self-awareness, and increase their understanding of others. In our interview today, we are going to focus in on how to recognize our emotions, how they play into our engagement with ourself and with others. Uh, Robin's going to share some personal perspective around uh, his own hidden driver of excellence and challenges us to think about ours. So 
With no further ado, let me introduce you to Robin Hills as we talk about your hidden driver of excellence. Robin Hills, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It's fabulous to have you here. It's an absolute wonder, Meg. Uh, thank you ever so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm delighted to be here. Well, you know, you do important work and important work around how people engage with one another and, and, and emotional intelligence. So why don't we start today diving into a framework for the audience to understand emotional intelligence through your lens. And then we're going to talk about how that leads to how each of us is an individual. We engage with life and our challenges in our own way, how that leads to the driver of excellence. We've got a lot of wonderful, meaty stuff we're going to talk about today. Let's start with the concept of emotional intelligence. Let's have a look at this concept of emotional intelligence. It's made up of two words, emotional and intelligence. And the two of them don't necessarily seem to fit together. But the important thing about emotional intelligence is the way in which you use your intelligence based around your emotions. So very, very simply, emotional intelligence is the way in which you use your thinking combined with your feelings in order to make good quality, authentic decisions and build up authentic relationships. And that is emotional intelligence in a nutshell. Very easy to say, very difficult to do. So if we look at a a simple framework for emotional intelligence, we can split it into a number of different parts. There's the inner world of what goes on inside our heads, our minds, our bodies, It's our physiology, our psychology. And then there's the outer world of things, events, and people. So if we look at the inner world, we have the inner world of awareness. How aware are we of ourselves, our self-awareness? How aware are we of our strengths, our limitations, our hidden drivers of success? How do we use those in order to have the impact that we're looking for? Then we need to convert that awareness into action and behavior, but still within the inner world. So how do we utilize our psychology, our physiology? How do we utilize our emotions? How do we work with them? How do we express them? And how do we manage them in such a way to give us what it is that we're trying to do? Build up relationships, make good quality decisions. Then if we move into the outer world, We need to have an awareness of other people. And through that awareness, we empathize. We try and understand things from their perspectives. We try to see things from their viewpoint. We try to engage with their emotions and feel what they're feeling. And then we look at action and behavior. How do we utilize our communication skills in order to build up these relationships and to influence and persuade around the decisions that we make? So how do we use our social skills? And of course, none of this will work unless we're motivated. Motivated to do it all internally. Right. And motivated to engage with other people appropriately. Right. Let me interrupt for just a second there as you're on this roll. I just 
I'm thinking about the different kinds of people that we might be engaged with in a coaching conversation, and that sometimes people aren't motivated to either acknowledge emotions or acknowledge the importance of those emotions. Um, because, you know, maybe I just live out of my head or I just live out of this is just the facts and this is just the way that it needs to be. And, and so I'm, as we're thinking about this and we're bringing forward, what advice might you have for the audience when in fact they're engaged with somebody who isn't motivated to pay attention to the concepts of being emotionally intelligent of what's going on internally, as well as what's going on relationally. I think the important thing is to hear is to gently help people to understand the value of emotions and to understand that emotions contain data, emotions contain good quality information. If we apply our intelligence to, we can get better outcomes from that. So. We are rational human beings, yes, but we're not robots. We do have emotions, and we will go through a whole gamut of different emotions when we're engaged with people. And the very fact that you may be challenging somebody around their emotions will evoke an emotion within them and help them to recognize that. And one of the simplest things to do is to ask them, how are you feeling? Are you feeling pleasant or are you feeling unpleasant? You don't need to put a label on it just to recognize the emotional state that you're in. Now, I want to get rid of a myth here, Meg. I think it's important for your listeners. Often people will talk about emotions as being positive or negative. Now, emotions are not positive or negative. We experience them for a reason. They are putting us into a physiological and psychological state that we can engage better with our environment. Now, some of those emotions, as I've said, are not going to be very pleasant, but we've got to recognize them as being vitally important. And often, unpleasant emotions, when they're being used constructively, we're taking, we're being taken out of our comfort zone. And outside of our comfort zone is where the learning takes place. So effectively, as coaches, we've got to take people out of their comfort zone. We've got to get them feeling unpleasant because through that unpleasantness, they're going to learn, they're going to grow, they're going to develop. So good. And then that concept of start within and then, you know, be aware of around and about and interactions. You know, how often do we work with somebody who just can't read the room, who just is it so kind of internally focused or focused on the facts or coming from that they're not able to sort of pick up the cues and the nonverbals from those people around? And that's very much a part of emotional intelligence, would you say? It is very much so. And and I would also be uh, honest enough to say to people, there are going to be times when I don't read the room properly, when I perhaps make uh, an inappropriate comment or I make a decision that's not quite right, and I've got to live and work through that, and I've got to live by it. Yeah, you know, I work in the field of emotional intelligence. I wish I was emotionally intelligent all the time. I'm not. None of us are, I don't think. It's it's being aware of of that and being aware that we also uh, are all sort of in that 
driving towards excellence, but maybe not there all the time. That's right. And I think what we've got to be aware of is our own morals and our own values. We're doing things for the right reasons. And if we're doing things for the right reasons, it's coming from the right place. It's coming from the heart. And if we are doing it for the right reasons, then yes, we will make the odd mistake, but uh, people will forget. As we're engaging and thinking about this process of being emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent, and then how each of us individually has our own challenges with that, what would you like to bring forward in the way of helping us zero in on that lens of it, that we all have our own individual challenges, our individual strengths. What piece of that would you like to sort of, I'm going to throw the ball to you and take that wherever you want to? Yeah, by all means, um, you you know, I'm quite pleased and proud to be able to share this. I am actually quite deaf. I lost my hearing in my 20s. It started to deteriorate in my 20s. I wasn't aware of it at the time. Because it was just sort of like a frog being boiled, right? Like that it just, yeah, you're just slowly losing. So you were just adapting. Yes. And through that adaptation, it meant that when I actually engage with people, I have to really focus in and concentrate on what they're saying and how they're saying it. So a lot of people will say, oh, you're very empathetic, Robin, you're a good listener. Um, well, okay, perhaps that's, uh, that's something that I am striving towards being, but obviously I'm using the body language uh, to show that. But in actual fact, I'm having to concentrate because I'm not able to hear the words and hear what people are saying unless I really do concentrate. And also, it's given me a hidden ability to be able to pick up on subtleties around body language. Now, I can't lip read and I can't sign read, but it actually helps me in terms of my work with emotional intelligence because it helps me to understand empathy better. But these are all consequences that I've had to work with over the last few years because I went for 30 odd years without even knowing I was deaf. My family would often tell me that uh, I'm not hearing stuff or they get frustrated with me when they bellow at the bottom of the garden and I can't hear what it is that they're saying. But they kind of adapt around and it got a bit of a joke towards the end. And after a while, I was told, look, you better go and get this sorted out. Go to the doctor. No, no, I can't be bothered. So I went to the doctor with some other minor ailment and... uh, Whilst I was there, I said to the doctor, oh, my wife keeps going on about me being deaf. Can you, um, can you have a look at it, please? So he had a look through the notes and he said, mm, you did mention this a few years ago. I think I got in with a heavy cold. So he said, um, I think we ought to get this investigated. And I thought, no, that's the wrong answer. The answer that I'm looking for is, no, Mr. Hills, go away and tell her she's wrong. You're all right. <laughs> You are fine. You go tell your wife she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah, that, that's that would, would not have been for. the emotionally intelligent answer. <laughs> no, it wasn't. So <laughs> it, I, it, I went and got investigated. I went and had an MRI scan, you know, where you get put into one of these great magnetron type things yes. that clicks and buzzes and it's inches away from your head. 
and came back with all the results. And I went to see the consultant audiologist and he had a look at all the results. He said, I don't know what's going on here. He said, I can't see anything here at all to indicate what's gone wrong. So he said to me, um, well, Robin, I think this has started to happen about 30 odd years ago and you've not noticed it. Haven't you had a hearing test? Well, no, why would I? You don't go for a hearing test. You might go for a sight test, but we don't go for hearing tests. So he said, well, you've got two options. You either have hearing aids or you go in for an operation and we'll get the bones, little tiny bones in your ears replaced. But there's high risk to that. So I said to him, well, let's explore getting the bones replaced, shall we? He said, oh, yeah, but you've got to wear a hearing aid for a year or so. So I thought, do you know something? I'll stick with the hearing aids, thanks. <laughs> so there, there we are. That is my hidden driver. And, and But quite honestly, that allows me and enables me to work within this field of emotional intelligence and engage in this field in a completely different way to a lot of other people. So when we think about our hidden driver of excellence, one of the things that your story points out is that when we have a diminished capacity in one thing, our inclination, maybe even subconsciously, is that other things pick up to to compensate for that. And you're that much more observant and aware because you had learned to do that, to pick up on people's what they're communicating with you without knowing that it was a compensation. And it makes you that much more sort of aware in in this, this human interaction and emotional intelligence. What are some other ways that we can maybe tune into our own hidden drivers of excellence? Well, uh, let me go back uh, just a little bit to what you were just mentioning there. Uh, It's very interesting because some of the work that's coming out of neuroscience is suggesting that if parts of the brain become damaged, so if we lose one of our major senses, such as our sight, it depends upon the time of life, it depends upon the type of damage that occurs, but the brain will take over and compensate in many ways. So people who have lost their sight, yes, they can't see. But interestingly enough, they can see, but they see differently to what we see, and they pick up on things. I I suppose the simplest example would be echolocation in bats. So they're able to actually position things in the room based around what they are sensing. Now, how they do it, I don't think we know. So I think it's vitally important for further research to really to determine the workings of the brain far more. But I think to bring it back to what it it is that you're asking me, I think what we've got to do is to look at everybody as an individual and get that person to determine what their superpower is. Now, I don't mean it's a case of flying or uh, turning people into wombats or something like that. It's a case not of that a, we're saying anything's wrong with that. It's just that no, we're not saying that everybody has those hidden talents. No, and unfortunately, I haven't got them. But uh, <laughs> what are the, the hidden talents that we've got that are really special to us? 
let me give you some examples. I do some mentoring with some teenage lads who are disadvantaged lads in the local town. I do a little bit of volunteering. And it's great because I meet up with these lads. They are disadvantaged. The one that I've got at the moment is a lovely little lad. He's, that sounds very demeaning. He's a great lad. He's 14. And uh, when we were put together, uh, neither of us knew that we were deaf. So here we are. We've got this common denominator. And when I meet up with him, we talk about being deaf. Interestingly enough, I think his deafness is, is not as bad as mine, yet he goes to a specialist deaf school. And I think there's still this kind of social stigma around deafness that I'm actually trying to knock on the head with regards to him. And I keep saying to him, look, this deafness gives us something that normal hearing people can't hear. Let's explore it. So what we found is that when we listen to a piece of music, we actually listen to the quality around the way in which the notes are delivered rather than uh, the, the higher frequencies or the lower frequencies. Well, it's the higher frequencies that we're going to struggle with, but it's the actual quality of the, the note. So we want to hear the zing, the sparkle within the note, the space between the notes. And these are things that we can do that normal hearing people would not necessarily do as well, but it's something that is almost second nature to us. And the other thing is, it's the things that we spoke about earlier. I'm now trying to encourage him to uh, understand the fact that he's got this capability of picking up on subtle elements of body language and to really help to build his confidence that way, to build his confidence that way in order that uh, he feels that he's got his special talent, but I'm still at a loss as to finding out what his special, special talent is. So when I'm actually mon mentoring these lads, I'm saying to them, look, I don't care what it is that you can't do. I'm not interested in that. What I want to do is to explore what it is that you can do. And if we can find out what you can do, what you can do, better than I can. Brilliant. Let's work with it. Oh, love that. So that very thing that you do when you mentor these lads are things that coaches could do with their clients. Really begin to zero in on what's your special talent? What Rather than focusing on the things that you can't do, what can you do that you realize is is maybe comes easier to you than it does to others. And you never realize, because isn't it true? I find that it's true that we demit, we minimize the things that come easy for us because we think, well, it's just an easy thing. Everybody can do that. And I don't think that that's the case at all. What are your thoughts about that? We will be back to my interview with Robin Hills right after this. Hey coaches, I recently heard that less than 20% of coaches who go through coach training end up building businesses that support them. Now, I totally get that not everybody who goes through coach training wants to build a business, and I know that many do that fail, and that's not okay with me. 
That's why I created the Star Coach community as a very affordable and high touch way to get coaches the support they need to get out of the spin and the overwhelm of trying to do everything alone. In the Star Coach community, we meet several times a month to break through the overwhelm, create resources to help you move forward between being able to engage directly with me for Q&A, meeting with experts from the show, and connecting with your fellow coaches. It is a wonderful place to be, let alone the plethora of resources that you receive to help you get started. So if you are feeling alone, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you would love to have a warm-hearted, engaging group to connect with month after month, then we would love to have you join us. Go to starcoachshow.com and explore the membership. Truly, starcoachshow.com, explore the membership. We would love to have you join us. Now, let's get back to the show. Oh, I, absolutely. I work with a lot of psychometrics, uh, particularly Myers-Briggs type indicator and DISC. And uh, when I'm giving people the insights from the results from these assessments, what I'm really honing in on is what their special talent is. Now, more often than not, what they want to know is what the psychometric has suggested that they're not good at. Because we're all wired for negative bias. There's no doubt about that. That's right. Let's look at all these, these, let's look at all these weaknesses, these limitations, these bad things. And I keep saying to them, look, let's ignore those. Let's look at what it is that you are really, really good at. Now, with some of the emotional intelligence assessments that I use, the EQI 2.0, again, I'm not looking at the the strongest, strongest element. I'm looking at the way in which the secondary kind of elements are being blended together, because those are the inherent things which then drive their personality. And I say, right, let's look at the things that this is suggesting that you are actually using quite a lot at this stage and look at underpinning those with these special talents. Because interestingly enough, if we can get more of that, all of those weaknesses and limitations are going to be minimized. They're going to disappear. Love that. Could you give an example? Some qualities or, or like kind of pull in some of those uh, EQ results. You can make them up, obviously. But I mean, like what would, what would a profile sort of look like? What might be that high thing? And then the underpinnings that really help level set which is one of the measurable components within the emotional intelligence assessment, the EQI 2.0. Often, if that is kind of mid-range or towards the the upper end of the person's capabilities, it's one really well worth focusing in on. Because as you've highlighted, people will say, oh yeah, but everybody does that, don't they? Uh, they're friendly people, they're amiable people, they're kind, they're good listeners. They don't have to work on it. 
They can do it with their eyes shut and both hands tied behind their back. They don't have to think about it. So they say, oh, yes, but everybody does that, don't they? And you've heard that. And I'm sure all your coaches have heard that. And the answer is no, they don't. And you've got to give them some really good examples. And there are some great examples. I don't need to name them. But some of the politicians just are not capable of doing that. They think they are. They think they're brilliant at it. But thereby lie the examples to suggest, or even some of the CEOs within organizations, they think they're God's gift to empathy and God's gift to amiability. Yet they shout and they bang the table and they make uh, it known that they are unhappy very frequently. And, you know, in those sort of circumstances, if we were to do an assessment on them, their empathy wouldn't be as high as the person that we're talking to. So it's helping people to realise that not everybody is the same and to recognise. This this is the hard bit, because if people are good at it, what we've got to do is to make them realise that with a bit of focus and a bit of understanding, and firstly, a bit of awareness and a bit of motivation, that can then become their special talent, that can become their superpower, that can become their hidden driver of success. Excellent. Yeah, so thank you for bringing out an aspect of EQ, because I really think that by bringing forward empathy, that just creates a little more, it makes it a little more tangible for those that are listening about how a particular trait can be highlighted and um, explored to potentially tap into what is that hidden talent. Would you like me to give you another example? Because That would be lovely. These are, are fairly complex, but look, let's build in another example, assertiveness. Now, a lot of people uh, think that assertiveness is, is being aggressive and getting your own way, and assertiveness is not. Assertiveness is actually saying, these are what my needs are, uh, this is what I'm wanting, uh, this is the way in which I'm expressing it to help you to understand what it is that I want. I don't necessarily get my own way, but at least you're aware of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and you're aware of the fact that I need you to understand this. That is assertiveness. Um, Now, a lot of people are not assertive. They're a lot more passive, particularly if they have high empathy and they're very amiable and nice, kind people. So what we've got to do is to help them to understand that they can still be liked if they're being assertive. But what we've got to do is to help them to be assertive in the right way at the right time and to get their voice heard and to actually have the confidence to be able to do that and to to build that into the discussion and the conversation. So good. Yeah, trying to. So you don't have to be passive. You don't have to tip into aggressiveness. Assertiveness is a a real asset to have. And helping people explore that so key. These are the kinds of things that can come forward to raise awareness when somebody is taking an EQ assessment and not really understanding how all those puzzle pieces fit together. That's one of the real values of doing an EQ it, it assessment. Is. And I've only t- taken two of the facets and within the EQI 2.0 that I use, there are another 13. So right. obviously you can see the complexity of it and the way in which all of these flaccid facets then blend together to give a fingerprint for the person that I'm engaging with. But 
these fingerprints change according to circumstances because we're looking at emotional intelligence. Exactly. So as we, you know, we've done a lovely exploration around how sometimes something that somebody might look at as the deficit is actually a strength and an ability to access the wholeness of who we are as human beings, because we might shift and adjust and things things raise to, to compensate and to help us really tap into our driver of excellence. What have we left on the table as our time is, is starting to run short about the concept of being driven towards excellence and how each one of us is an individual in that, that you want the coaches who are listening to think about? Well, I think what we've got to do is to help people to define them for themselves what excellence is and what excellence means. Now, the word excellence for me means that it's got to be absolutely perfect. Now, that is not excellence. You know, good enough is perfect. So over the years, I've learned to accept that things might not be absolutely perfect, but as long as they're fit for purpose and they do the job intended and they do it well, then uh, we don't have to worry too much. Again, when I'm, I'm working and coaching with people, a lot of people really do have very, very, very high standards, far higher standards than I've got. And they will burn the midnight oils on a particular project to get it absolutely perfect. When for me, it was perfect a week ago. Right. So, I, again, I, I think what we've got to do is to help people to define where uh, that drive for excellence is for them, what it means. And we've got to coach them around the fact that good enough is probably good enough and not to waste time, effort, energy, resources taking something that for everybody else in the world is 80% perfect and just work on that little tiny bit that pushes them up to levels of perfection because they'll put their piece of work in and they'll lose sleep over the fact that it's not quite as good as what I wanted it to be. No, I think what we've got to do is to help people to realise what excellence is, not only for themselves, but for the situation and for the other people around them. So good. And then they can make better choices for them or just choices that might work better for their families, for their relationships, for their own personal well-being. So part of it is is uh, maybe challenging a little bit about the driver and is what's a realistic element of excellence. Yeah. And help them to understand that by the fact that they are handing in an imperfect piece of work, it's going to make them feel unpleasant. Yeah. And that unpleasant is part of life. We can survive unpleasant and learn from it. I think unpleasant really evokes awareness. Yes, yes, definitely. I'll give you another example prior to coming on to your web show. Meg, you and I have spoken before. I know what you're like. You know what I'm like. Lovely, friendly lady. Get on very well. Have some really good conversations. But I was feeling unpleasant. There was anxiety. There was nervousness. There was a degree of anticipation. What's going to happen? 
And it happens all the time, every time I have a, a kind of podcast interview. But I need that level of unpleasantness. I need the adrenaline surge to get me physiologically in the right space. And if I didn't have it, I'd be worried. It would feel good, but there would be complacency there. And the the quality of the conversation wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't flow as well. So even though I don't like feeling that way, it's unpleasant. Just got to accept that that's part of life. Well, and you showed up and you do the interviews, even if there's some anxiety and angst before the interviews. And I appreciate and the audience appreciates that you showed up and you did it anyway. Well, this this is it. And I, I want to bring it back to your listeners, because when they are going into a coaching session, they will be feeling the same way. Come on, look, let's be realistic about it. There's going to be that feeling of unpleasantness. You've done hundreds of coaching sessions, hundreds of coaching hours, yet everybody's going to be an individual. So you're not going to be in a place where, where you complacently think, oh, yes, this is going to be a piece of cake. Oh, I'm going to really enjoy this. Sit back and do nothing. No, you've got to get yourself into a space so that you can coach someone. How do I start the coaching conversation? Do I ask the right questions? Am I actually not coaching? I'm telling them what to do. And you've actually got to manage yourself appropriately in the space. So getting to that space is going to be unpleasant. Also, the people that you're coaching, you, you know, a very good example is they have to present some, some challenging information and data to senior managers. So they've been invited to go along to a meeting in order to put this point across. They're going to have a sleepless night. They're not going to feel particularly good that morning doing it. Good. That's an unpleasant state that we have to recognize that they have to work with. That's part of being emotionally intelligent. If we were happy all the time, deliriously happy, we're not going to be able to communicate. Oh, don't worry about the sales figures. Yeah, they're fine. Oh, look at the sunshine. Isn't it worry? Oh, look at the bunnies on the grass. Absolutely fantastic. You can't communicate with that person. So what we've got to do is to recognize our emotions are in ebb and flow. And through being in an ebb and flow, they're going to be unpleasant at times. They're going to be pleasant at times. Recognize the information, the data in the emotions. Apply your intelligence and try and be as emotionally intelligent as possible. Love that. So, Robin Hills, thank you so much for joining the Star Coach Show today, for bringing your expertise forward and sharing about your own personal journey on your driver to excellence. That's, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you for having me, Meg. It's been wonderful. I am so grateful for each of our fabulous guests for coming and sharing their expertise. And with all, I invite you to learn more about them. Robin, has a new online magazine regarding emotional intelligence, ei-matters.com, and strongly encourages you to follow up with that. The link for that is going to be in our show notes at starcoachshow.com slash 337, starcoachshow.com slash 337. 
Robin also expressed a desire that you connect with him on LinkedIn at Robin Hills. That link is also in the show notes. My conversation with Robin continues in the membership community. If you're interested in becoming a member, go to starcoachshow.com and explore the membership. We have a thriving community and would love to have you be a part of it. Next week, we're going to continue our discussion around mental health awareness and explore the concept of how when we pay attention to our own health and well-being and our own mental health awareness, we are better in all that we do, including partnering with our clients and building our business. So be sure to come back next week as we dive into that topic. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rate and review wherever you listen so that more people find us. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.